This is part two of November 11th's Sunday Special Edition. We're going to now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Sheila by pressing star one to unmute. Please give me your name, including the first letter of your last name. Jen H. Mindy R. Sima M. Sima M. Marla. Kathy K. Marla. Kathy K. Marla. Anne Marie M. Hey, Anne Marie. Who was before Anne Marie? Mary Lee R. In Oregon. Mary Lee R. Good morning. Okay. Mindy Who R. Else? Mindy R. Yes. Barbara E. Barbara E. There's a Jennifer H. as well, I believe. Yes. Yes. Okay. Anyone else? Star one Yolanda A. Alana A, is that correct? Yolanda. Yolanda. A. Gotcha. Okay. All right, that's a good group. Everybody now let's mute, please. Except for Sima M. Go ahead. Can you say the order? Yes, yeah, Sima M. Kathy K. Did I hear a Marla? Uh, Mary Lee R, Anne Marie M, Mindy R, Barbara E, Jennifer H, Yolanda A. I believe there was a Marla S. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So Marla, you're after Kathy K. Okay. So let's get started with Sima M, please. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Uh, is it Sheila? I don't know. I missed the beginning. Thank Sheila you. J. Yes. Hello, Jay. Yes, um, I appreciate all the thoroughness of uh, and the detail that you went through. Um, I have experience um, that some people are just too sick to stay abstinent long enough to go through the big book as slowly as um, you speak with 15 minutes a day and reading a little bit at a time. And I often think, well, is it required to go through so slowly? Didn't Bill and the others go through it? immediately in one day, if not two? And um, have you ever experienced working with someone that had um, emotional problems so that they weren't able to answer all the questions because they didn't have all the answers? Uh, I don't know if any of that makes sense, but um, that's my question. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I I think there's a lot of pain out there, Sima. I, I, I'm... I know people talk about that, you know, some of us are sicker than others and things like that. I I was just laughing in a meeting last night. I was saying that I, I, I think that baton gets passed from, from person to person here, right? I all I, I think, you know, plenty of times I'm I'm the I'm the sickest person in the room and I put that in quotations, right? And all it means is pain. It's just pain. I think there are a lot of people that are trapped in pain. I'm not a healthcare professional. So um, I don't have a lot of experience with people having uh, psychiatric issues or significant emotional issues where they, they couldn't work the steps. But I certainly have, you know, had some experience, and I encourage people, you know, to seek out healthcare professionals, as Bill did. Right? Bill was a big fan of psychiatrists and getting, you know, the healthcare somebody might need. But I, I don't step out of my purview. So if, if somebody, I, I can't 
can't do what I'm asking them to, to do on a daily basis. And I, I don't really have a lot of experience with that. I have experience with people not wanting to do it, but it wasn't, there wasn't uh, an emotional barrier in place. But I certainly have encouraged people uh, toward um, getting the, you know, the, the professional health care that might be of service to them. And whether that involves medication and things like that, that stuff's all about my pay grade. don't have any experience with that. But, um, but um, yeah, so I, I hope I answered your question there. So I have had that experience to a limited extent, and I encourage people to get professional health care, anything that will allow them to to uh, to do our work together. You know. And yes, they did go through it quickly. Yeah, they, they did. I mean, he worked. You know, Bill worked what amounted to you know steps one through through eight um, with Abby at the side of his bed, right in Towns Hospital. So yes, that was a quick thing that happened, and. Um, you know, you can anybody can do this any way they do it. This is just how I do it. The quickest I've ever gotten through this with somebody, depending on what they come up with on that four step, is about two months. And then I encourage them to go get another sponsor. And if you want to keep me on as a you know a sponsor in your stable, right? Be an emeritus sponsor. That sounds good. I like that title. But go get go get the another sponsor. Work the steps with someone else. Hear what someone else has to say. Go work the traditions with somebody. Um, there are lots of things you can do, but. Um, but this is just, you know, this is how I, this is how I do it when we're doing this together. Because this is how my sponsor did it with me. Thanks, Sima M, for the question. Kathy Kay, your turn. Uh, thanks, Leah, for your service, and thank you um, for your talk today. Um, I wanted to follow up on something you just said, which has to do with what do you do with a sponsee after you finish going through the 12 steps. It sounds like uh, you don't continue to work with them on a daily basis, but instead you encourage them uh, to find new sponsors. Or And you mentioned emeritus sponsor. What do you yeah. mean? Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of teasing with it. You know, my husband takes these emeritus classes. The, <laughs> well, the thing, thing I just yeah. want to say, I'm concerned that if you keep adding sponsees to your stable, yeah. uh, how, how do you do that at some point? Yeah, I, yeah that, that's that's the thing, Kathy. I don't. And and this was the 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 first sponsor who where this all cracked open for me. This was you know back in 2000 when I got after. Yeah, when I got I guess I got absent before. I'm. It was 2000. Yeah, she was the first one who introduced us, and we went through the steps, and then she she lovingly encouraged me. She said, you can keep me in your life. You can make occasional phone calls, but I no longer had a, a set time where I was calling her, and it's the same thing I do with sponsees, but okay. um, she just wanted me to have the experience here, what someone else had to say, because, again, this is very powerful, and it comes across as, you know, this is the one right way to do it because I get very passionate and zealous and like, oh, I'm on fire with this stuff. But I want them to understand this is just my take on it. It's really, it's my take. I think there are certain things that's pretty clear. You read, you know, two plus two will always be four. And if I read where it says in the book, look, you you got to do a four step and you got to do a fifth step or there's a good chance you're going to drink again. That's pretty clear. But I, 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 I want somebody to have another experience and hear what someone else has to say. So that's one thing. But the second thing is, because I want to be of service to chronic slippers, I, I only have four sponsorship slots. Occasionally I can sponsor four people and then have somebody who might be floating along in Al-Anon or something like that. Where it, 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 We don't necessarily need to have that daily contact. 
But in terms of this program and the mother program, there has to be daily contact. Well, I, I have the sponsorship availability that I have. And I want to make myself available to sponsor and be of service to as many chronic slippers as I can, right? To give somebody the experience, not because I'm giving them anything magic. All I'm doing is holding their hand, right? And we're going to skip this path together, this glorious path through working the steps as it's outlined in the book and see everything that it's directing us to do to give somebody an opportunity who's been banging their head against the wall for 20 years to see that, oh, I can do something different here. I just want as many people as possible. Not because I think I can do something that anybody else can't do, but I do have my ESH. And my ESH, my experience, strength, and hope as a chronic slipper can be of real service to other chronic slippers. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Kathy Kay. Marla S., your turn, followed Hi, by Mary. Mary Lee R. Hi, Mar- Marla. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you, Sheila. Great presentation. Um, a couple of really just quick, pragmatic kinds of questions. Um, you said that you have daily contact with them Monday through Friday. I missed what you said you do with them on Saturday and Sunday, and then I have a couple other quick questions. Sure. It's a it's a floating call. So as my sponsor had directed me, I can call at any time, and I if I if I see their call come in and it's convenient for me to answer, I will answer. But what they're going to do is just check in. Hey, it's it's Jane calling in on Saturday. I've I've done my uh, my reading and answered my question and, and very excited about that. And I, you know, of course, you'll see my email tonight. Thanks. I'll okay. talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. So it's that yep. kind of a call. Okay. And then another um, practicality thing. You said you like them to do about four meetings a week. I'm assuming you mean phone meetings like Vision for You in case they don't have face-to-face or what were you talking about? There? Yes. Yes, certainly. If somebody doesn't have face-to-face. What's your name? Marla. Marla. Certainly, Marla, if somebody doesn't have face-to-face meetings, of course you can do phone meetings. Where I'm, I'm, I, I, there isn't a lot of flexibility with that. If somebody's in a community where you have face-to-face meetings and you are exclusively doing phone meetings, that, that doesn't make any sense to me, especially as somebody who's a compulsive overeater, especially if you're dealing with significant weight issues. It's really important to be seen. To be seen and loved and touched and hugged and loved and celebrated. But, you know, I'm not a wingnut here. I I did used to live in Europe and I did used to jump on a train and, you know, uh, for a 70-minute train ride to get to a one-hour OA meeting and then jump back on that train to get home. But I I don't require inordinate um, displays of willingness here. But let's just play the game by the rule. Let's just have a loving conversation. And if you've got some face-to-face meetings in your community, let's get to some of those as well, right? And if you're concerned that you can't show up at at this meeting or conventional OA meetings because there isn't a lot of recovery there, then show up as the recovery. Show up as the loving heart, right? Because the recovery is not in in how much weight you've lost anyway. The recovery is in how loving your heart is and how kind your heart is. So if you're showing up at meetings and you're judging people because people are still overweight there, so there must not be recovery, well, you haven't solved you haven't solved your problem anyway. You've got yeah. plenty of work to do. So <laughs> you know it's it's that, and as we all do, and I don't mean that as a rah rah rah. I mean you know, trust me, I got a gremlin on my shoulder who's ready to critique and disseminate and deconstruct. At a, at, a, at a given moment, any given moment, right? It's one of my character defects. I'm yeah. both an artist, a creator, and a deconstructor. But we just want to get very clear what the issue is here. It's about 
the heart. So show okay. up and be loving. And my Give love and receive it. Promises will be the last one. Um, when they read the chapter at home and then you get together on the phone for your calls, do you guys go back and reread the content of the chapter or are you just summarizing it together as you're talking in those few days after they've read it? No, they'll read it. So they'll they'll read the chapter on a Tuesday and read read to me on, on Wednesday what their 15 minutes of writing was. And then, yeah, we talk about it a little bit. That's why I'll, I'll say turn to this page. What did you highlight there? Oh, mm-hmm. cool, right? And then all of a sudden I get to take full advantage of, of something that meant a lot to them. And, and okay. they realize this is what the, the program is about and the, the outreach calls and things. It's like exploring this beautiful literature. You Thank know? you so much. Mm, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Marla S. Mary Lee R., your turn. Star one to unmute Mary Lee R. Good morning, everyone. This is Mary Lee R. in recovery just for today in Eugene, Oregon. Thank you, Sheila, for um, sharing your loving heart. Um, What does your um, program for yourself look like um, in the morning? Yeah. Um, Well, as I said, I'm a meditator, so I make sure that I'm meditating in the morning. I have a... um, couple of different prayers, different things from my spiritual tradition. I um, have this beautiful, somebody at this retreat took that, that 11th step uh, piece that I'd read to you and they put it in a, on a beautiful piece of paper. So I'm going to bring that back into my morning routine. That's usually a part of my morning routine. And um, so again, I've got my prayers and I've got my meditation. And I'll, I try and get my, <clears throat> my, my two pages of the big book because I'm on a four-step right now. My sponsor has me on a four-step. So, um, and not a big book four-step. She has me doing another one, which is, again, not my good idea. wouldn't be my first choice, but I just do what she asked me to do. So I'm doing it. And I'll spend 15 minutes a day on that four-step. So I'll get through it quickly. You know, I'd heard somebody say once, you know, a four-step is hell. If you're going through hell, doing a four-step, don't dawdle. Now, a four-step has never been hell to me. What, what's hellish is to need to do a four-step and be unwilling to do it. That's hell. But um, So I'll get my two pages of my, my big book read, and then I'll get my writing done. I want to have that done before. Ideally, I have it done before I have my first meal, um, just because it makes the eating so much easier. When I've done the work, the 12-step work that I'm required to do by my sponsor, if I do that before I get started in my day, certainly before 12 noon, there's no reason for me to be putting off my assignment from my sponsor um, to beyond 12 noon. There's no reason for that. It will make my day so much easier if I clearly establish that I put my program in place first and work my life around it. I just do. Everything else gets sorted out if I prioritize. I bring home the point to me and to a loving God of my understanding and quite frankly to my husband and my dog that my program is the priority. When I do that, every everybody wins. Everybody wins if I prioritize program. When I, my husband and I, when we got married, I went to a I went to a meeting every day of my honeymoon. Right, I went to a twelve step meeting, and we came back, and he must have said something to one of his buddies or something, and he said, "Wow, were you weren't you pissed off that she was going to meetings all the time?" And my husband said, "Are you kidding me?" Everybody wins if she was been to a meeting. Everybody wins. 
<laughs> so, so I make very I bring the point home most importantly to me that this is my priority. So I do that assignment for my sponsor. So those are the things I do in the morning. I, you know, I've got a prayer routine, got a meditation, solid meditation routine because I do not want to be one of those people in the twelve step rooms who is not meditating on a daily basis. I don't. Um, they're out there, not my business, but um, I don't want to miss out on that opportunity to sit and make myself available. It's a gift I give God, right? God spends every waking moment <laughs> giving me gifts, right? Everything, the sunshine, the idea that I woke up and um, in my home and in a, a warm bed and food in my kitchen and you know, a computer and desk and, you know, everything is a blessing. You know, I opened my eyes and I could see, you know, one of my sponsors is blind, you know. I opened my eyes and I could see. Um, every moment I have something to be grateful for. So let me take, and and I know that my, my 12-step work is a gift to God, right, because it makes me more available, gives, me, gives God more access to my heart, gives me more access to my heart so I can be, both of loving service to myself and then carry that out right into the world. I know that's a gift. But my meditation, I, you know, because we always talk about the benefits, and it says in the AA 12 and 12, it says one of the first fruits of regular meditation is going to be emotional balance. So it, it brings home the point that there are real gifts that I get, and it's out there in the world. You know, people are in the conversation about mindfulness and things like that, and you know, all the hotshot CEOs and companies say, yeah, you know, it's all going to go better if you're meditating. There's so much focus on what is the gift I'm going to get if I'm meditating. For me, what I want to try and put in place, it's the gift I'm giving to God. I'm giving my quiet, to the best of my ability, clearing my mind, right, so that I can be available for God, for God to be able to access me. Prayer is easy. It's easy. Yeah, I like to, you know, I'm a, you know I can talk. I can talk myself through a prayer. It's easy. Pray the rosary. Do whatever, right? Say this prayer. Say that prayer. That's easy. I, it's, it's easy, it's blessed, and it's holy. But I want to make sure that I then open up and give my the gift of all that I am, all that I can bring in that day, in that moment, to God so that God can have full access to me, have full sway, you know? Thank you, Mary Lee R., for the question. Anne-Marie M., star one to unmute. Thank you. Good morning, Leah, and uh, thank you, Sheila, so much for your ESH. I really like that experience, <laughs> strength, and hope. Um, as a chronic relapser yourself, did you ever figure out the reason why you did that and also working with other chronic relapsers, is there a common theme, if you will, of maybe that all of them are not doing their 10 step, or I guess, you know, most that that's just the main reason they're not doing their 10 step or they're not doing meditation. Have you found a, a common um, reason why people, chronic slippers, uh, continue to chronically slip? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's a great question. I, I have, I, I have um, in, in my experience, and, and the thing that, and tell me, I'm sorry, tell me your first name. This is Anne Marie. Anne Marie. Thanks, Leah. Yeah, yeah. 
Anne-Marie, what I what I'm real clear about it's all it's all pain, right? Everything, it, all of it comes from pain. So I'm I'm very very clear about that. And again, I'm not a healthcare professional, but it's all in my experience, and it certainly was true in my own case. It was just pain, right? People just have this these inordinate amounts of pain, and they just don't know what to do with it. So it's all it's all coming out of that, and then on top of that, right? In my experience, chronic flippers are chronic victims and chronic liars. And I certainly know it was the case with me. And it made sense that I was a chronic victim. I was victimized as a child, right, at 5 and 10 on numerous occasions. I was molested by two different men. So I was set up to be a victim I, I, because I was victimized, right? And that wasn't even the extent of the things that were going on in my home. My mother had a, uh, it was a razor. She threw things, right? She'd get mad and she, you know, she broke dishes, things like that. She was an angry, troubled, troubled woman because she was so affected by her father's alcoholism. My father's, uh, my paternal grandfather wasn't even just a, a child beater. He was a beater upper. And my mother, the oldest, and her brother two years younger, it was just, it's just horrible to 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 imagine what my mother's life was like on a daily basis. Right? And she was a troubled, troubled woman. So right there, even just making that that shift, Anne Marie, not seeing my mother as an angry, you know, raging, vindictive, you know, all the things that I used to think, but really kind of stepping around this other side of it because I've had this vital spiritual experience and this psychic change which says that the ideas, emotions, and attitudes have now been shifted. They've been cast to the side. I don't need to judge and be angry and point and you did this. And instead, it's just coming around and understanding it was all from pain. So from my mother's pain, she gave me the best that she could. She just did the best that she absolutely could do. Um, but she was very troubled, right? And I... I experienced that and that on top of everything that I was going through I mean I just I I was a real wounded bird myself right I came out of that home as a very troubled young woman who felt like I had been victimized and I carried that out into the world and I had been victimized but here's the crux of it is it's which is why it's so powerful how it how it takes me through this process in the book and how I was led through this process and continue to be led by beautiful, brilliant sponsors, you know, years of time beyond me, years of time and recovery beyond me, who just changed my life, sharing their their um, their experience, strength, and hope, right? Sharing their ash with me is it became very, very clear that if I was going to stay in that victim perspective, I was going to continue to live from that place, the world was going to continue to give me opportunities to be a victim. So I didn't want that. I didn't want that. And so I did what they asked me to do, right? And when I was finally ready to feel the feelings, I continued. I'd already been working the steps. I'd been working, you know, I'd been through the steps, of, you know, 10, 12 times before I, I this came together with me in terms of absolute. But I just kept doing what my sponsors at the time were asking me to do, which is work the step, regardless of the fact that I was still in the food. Because what's the alternative, 
right? Don't work the steps because you're not out of the food. Well, that, how does that work? How, how's that going to get me where I need to be? I mean, if I come into a program and they say you're powerless over food and it's the step work that's going to heal you, how can, how could that ever possibly make sense? Well, you can't work the steps until you're out of food. How am I supposed to get, I mean, you just told me I was powerless. So I just did what I was asked to do. So I kept working the steps year after year after year after year. And through that, that slowly moved me away from this whole idea of victimhood. So that kind of got, right, got punted to the side, that whole idea of being a victim. All of a sudden, I wasn't a victim. I was just somebody who was in pain as the men who had victimized me were perhaps in pain themselves. My guess is that people who feel good about themselves don't molest little girls. That's my guess. I don't know. But I certainly have just about every person I sponsor has had that experience, molestation experience, and I've sponsored people who've been molesters. I mean, I just have come to see in having moved out of victimhood, it's all just pain. It's just people in pain. And I'm not a healthcare professional. Don't aspire to be in terms of the heavy-duty work, right? My background is social work. But I don't, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't, you know, I don't participate, you know, I don't have any experience with medication and how that needs to work in, in anybody's life. But um, I do know that moving away from victimhood changed everything for me. So that was one thing as a counselor. The other thing is the lying, the deception. Um, and for a long time, it's centered around my food and whether I was lying by actually saying, well, I had this when I really had that, or I had this quantity when I really had that. I didn't do so much of that. That wasn't really my game. But it was more about, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you, right? Or I'm not, going to, I'm not going to have the food conversation, right? I'm going to keep talking about this and step work and oh I've done this but I'm not I don't want to pay any attention to my food and if I didn't have a sponsor at the time and for a long time I didn't have sponsors who wanted to know what I was eating well that made it really easy for me and nobody did it wrong I'm not saying anybody did it wrong I don't have an opinion about what anybody else does but it doesn't make sense for me as a sponsor in Overeaters Anonymous to not pay attention to what people are eating I have to know what you're eating and it's not because food is the problem. It's not the problem. But we got to be clear about where you're at with the food so that we can, we can get to what's really important here. So that was the, the, a really big place in my life where I just didn't want to be honest. That's why I require sponsees to tell me what they're eating, not because you're reporting to your mother or a drill sergeant or a shrew or a a harsh sponsor or anything like that, it's because I want you to be safe here and I want you to know that you, you, you don't have, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to hide here. You can't control your food. I can't control your food. But if you will do what we're doing here, you're going to give God an opportunity to come and do the ABC, do the B part of the ABC and come in and solve your problem, right? God couldn't, what if you were sought? But there are things you're going to have to do in the meantime, and that's, in my estimation, follow the direction as it's outlined in the book, hand-in-hand hand with a loving sponsor who's being sponsored herself, right? Him or herself. 
I want my sponsor to have a sponsor who has a sponsor so that I'm part of the lineage here. I get to lean into the loving, gentle, yet clear and powerful wisdom um, of the book. Thank you, Anne-Marie M., for the question. Mindy R., your turn, star one, to unmute. Mindy R., star one, to unmute. Uh-oh, I might have put her to sleep. Well, maybe she had to step away for a moment. Okay, let's, in the meantime, let's go to Barbara E. Uh, good morning. Can I be heard right now? Yes, Barbara, good morning. Oh, wonderful. First of all, Sheila, I want to thank you for that absolutely beautiful presentation. Uh, you, I know you're not God. I know you're not anyone's savior but you are truly an angel in human skin. And I have a few very mundane questions. Um, At one point you said that you were going to have your sponsor, at least I thought, read two pages a day, highlight, annotate, write, and then speak to you. But then at another point, I thought I heard you say, read the whole chapter and then highlight, annotate, annotate, write, and speak to you. That was just my first question. Uh, which did you mean? And if you require them to be abstinent at, lo- at any length of time, for how long? And what if they slip, or slip is a word I don't really care for, what if they choose to go back to the food and then are honest with you? Do you cast them aside, or do you say, okay, let's go back to the beginning? Thank you so much. I appreciate you and, of course, Leah, for everything she does. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you for your lovely, warm communication. That that means a lot. We are all God in the flesh, right? And the book talks about that, right? That we, we find that God within, right? That great reality deep within us, right? We are all the loving embodiment we all do that for each other so thank you um uh so i if i forget you'll remind me what the second thing was so the first thing was is yeah the chapters versus the two pages so in the beginning when they're going through step one they're reading a chapter at a time because it's only it's only steps uh the only steps that have um, whole chapters devoted to them are steps one steps two and step twelve Everything else is just a partial chapter. So when somebody is on step one, they're reading a chapter at a time. And because I want to get somebody clipping along, because again, given the the people that I work with, um, I I, I want to keep them busy. So they'll be reading a chapter at a time. So there are four step one chapters. So they're going to read those chapter, 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 four consecutive days. They're going to read those chapters. And then when we get to step two, that's also a chapter on its own. So in those cases, they'll be reading um, a chapter at a time. On the other days, when they're everything else, um, things get slowed down. So when they're on the four-step, for instance, right, let's say they're going to take two weeks and do that four-step. I'll have them reading the the 
uh, portion of the book, which is from the bottom of 63 um, to the end of that chapter, 71, I think. Um, they're gonna, I'm going to have them read two pages a day, right? And when they finish those eight or nine pages and they're still on the four step, they're going to go back and do it again. So I just, I always want people to be reading a minimum of two pages a day in the big book. If you're reading more, because I've asked you to read a chapter, well, then you'll read that chapter, right? But it's a minimum of two pages a day. So that's that. So that was the one thing. And then I think you had, you had a couple different pieces in this question. So the, the first thing is, is, no, I don't ever start anybody over because they got into the food. And I'll come back to that in a minute. Let me just write something down here so I can make sure I reference something here about what that's about because that came from one of my sponsors. So no, I don't start anybody over. You're, it, it's, it's already been established in the book that I can't, I can't get you abs to that. That's, that's a God job. So that's a job above my pay grade. I do need you to be accountable and tell me what you're eating on a daily basis. I will have already established through the loving connection that we have that you're safe here and you can be honest about your food. You have nothing to lie about. There's nothing to lie about. I've already established there has to be a whamming component, a weighing and measuring component, because if you are at point A and you want to be at point M, we have to know where you're starting. Right? I have to know what you weigh physically. You'll step on a scale, and then you won't step on that scale again for a month because we don't want to get involved in that game. right? So, And then we need to know what you're eating and how much you're eating because if in 30 days' time you've gained four pounds instead of lost eight pounds, right? that, that will be evident. We'll we'll know where that's coming from based on what you're eating. And I that doesn't happen. I don't have people don't gain weight. When when we're doing this together, and it's not because I'm doing anything magic, it's because we've gotten honest. I've usually recommended that people go to a registered dietitian, check out with a healthcare professional, or get a hold of, you know, a dignity of choice, the, the OA pamphlet that has the different food plans. But let's get clear about what it is you need to be eating based on what you how old you are, what your activity level is, et cetera, et cetera, right? Health issues you might have. Let's bring a healthcare professional in and figure out what, you know, what would be an appropriate weight-losing abstinence for you, right, a food plan for you. Let's put that in place. But um, since I've, I, it's very, very clear to me, I can't solve this for you, then there's, there's nothing for me to punish. There, there's not... I don't even like using that word, but there's there's no reason for me to say, well, I can't participate with you because you had, you know, you had a piece of cheesecake and we're not doing sugar, right? You had cheesecake on day 17. No, I, I, I would never, I, and I never use the inflammatory language of firing somebody or anything like that's hurtful. We're already we're already tender, tender people. You know, being overweight is the only prejudice that's still actively sanctioned in society. I mean, they build sitcoms around fat characters. You know, Saturday Night Live when they're, you know, when their overweight comedian, you know, keels over and dies of a heart attack or a stroke or, you know, coupled with the the drug issue they might have. You know, guys, they just call up Second City and say, send another fat comedian out. I mean, we just it is it is it is not it's not okay what the the communication about overweight people in society we still are very very hurtful in our communications 
and um, I don't want to participate and I don't want to contribute to that. So I would no, I never would let anybody go. But they would still be responsible for the work. And I remember in the beginning doing four steps when I was in the food. Because I, I remember saying to my sponsor, look, I'm still eating. You really want me to do the four step? And I remember one of my sponsors saying to me, she said, Sheila, I don't care if you have a Snickers bar in your left hand and a pen in your right hand, you get that four step done, right? So I was still responsible to do the work. I was, right? And that's what I want to make sure somebody understands. Why? Because go back to page 96 where it tells me my responsibility is to make myself available to somebody who does the work. So if you want to be challenged in a way that you will be challenged by being in the food and working in the steps, and I know because I've done it, right, then you do that, right? You are still going to be responsible for doing the work. And I'll be honest with you, I've never had anybody not have it come together. And again, that's not because I'm doing anything magic. It's because I'm establishing, based on the material here, that you are safe, we're going to be working together, and I have a responsibility to work with somebody who's going to do the work. And people, you know, it's been my experience so far that people have been willing to do the work. Now, do people cut and run? Absolutely people cut and run. But I don't, I don't, I never cut anybody because you got because you got back in the food. Now what I will do is um, because I'm powerless and I can't make somebody do this, but I know that they're going to have a much different experience working the steps if you put the food down. Are you going to have a different experience? Of course you are. Of course you're going to have a different experience. Do I want that for you? Of course I do, right? So what I remind people is while we're powerless over the food, I'm not powerless over the behavior. So I can say to somebody, okay, so you, you're having a hard time putting down the sugar, right? You can't put down the sugar. Here's what I want to ask you, Jane. Would you be willing to make an outreach call and reach out to me live before you are going to have sugar, right? So let's say we've, you know, you've committed, let's say you've decided to commit your food. So you committed your food last night. And there's no sugar in that commitment. Are you willing to call me and speak to me live before you would eat the, 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 the sugar, right? before you get into the sugar? Are you willing to call me and speak to me live? And don't worry, I'm not going to try and talk you out of it. I can't talk you out of it. If I, if I could talk you out of eating, I would... <laughs> if I had that kind of power, I mean, I'm a writer. I'd write a book, probably be best friends with Oprah, right? And I would leave <laughs> Overeaters Anonymous. Why? Because we go pretty deep here. It's very, it's very intimate and powerful and frightening sometimes, what we do here. Intimacy still frightens me. I, I, spiritually, emotionally, physically, sexually, intimacy still frightens me. I am, I am a glorious, holy work in process and will be for the rest of my life. But I don't have that power. And you don't have that power if you subscribe to what we believe in 12-step programs. But you're not powerless over the behavior. So if somebody is unwilling to even call me before they're going to get into the sugar, well, then that tells me that they're not willing to do the work. Because I'm not, asking, I'm not saying don't eat it. I'm saying call me before you do. And we're just going to have a short, loving conversation. I'm probably going to encourage you to pull out your big book. Let's read that paragraph at the top of page 63 where it says, if I will let God be in charge, 
I'm going to experience freedom today, tomorrow, and hereafter. I'm going to be reborn and all the other premises that it has in that paragraph. And then I'm going to say, I'll love you, you know, Jane, I love you no matter what you do. Send, make sure you send me your email tonight. You're safe to be honest. And have that assignment done for me tomorrow, darling. I'll talk to you then. Bye. Right? That's how the conversation will go. But if somebody is not, because all we're trying to do there is take a pause. I'm trying to just give somebody a pause for an opportunity for God to come in and solve the problem, right, and remove the compulsion. Now, if they're not willing to do that, if they're not willing to just make a phone call, then they're not in the right boat. And it, 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 the conversation won't be, oh, you're doing the, you know, you're not willing to do goodbye. I'll say, I really understand that you don't want to do this, but I'm not sure how I can be helpful for you then if you're not willing to do the work. I love you. I adore you. We can still be outreach buddies, right? We can go to lunch together. You eat what you want. I know what I'm going to eat. If you have fried chicken and bonbons, it's not going to affect my day and it's not going to affect my lunch. And I'm not going to want what you have. I'm really not. Because, you know, I have felt this. There's a great poem. And the last line is, I have felt the sway of the elephant's shoulders. And now you want me to climb on a jackass? Try to be serious. It's a great poem from Marabi. And I, it, that's what it feels like in program. I felt how wonderful it is. There is no food on the planet that could, that could even come close to how good it feels here. But if somebody is not willing to take the action and call me, because we're powerless over food, but I'm not powerless over action. And if they're not willing to take the action, then I'm not sure how I can be of service. Now, I've never had anybody say, no, I'm not willing to do that. Um, I've had people say, I'm, I'm happy to do that. And we have a loving conversation. Sometimes, not usually. Sometimes they go ahead and eat the food. And if they do, that's fine. They record it. It gets sent in an email to me. They're still responsible for having done whatever task I've given them. They're still responsible for making sure they've made those outreach calls, right? They're still responsible for making sure that they've meditated, done that gratitude list. Everything that's on that email that comes at night, you will be responsible whether you eat or not. But um, I want to introduce that whole idea because you'll hear people say that in program. Oh, I, you know, I weigh and again, it's not my business. I don't. I don't have a. I don't care what anybody else weighs. It's just not my business. I know that I have a small frame. I'm tall, but I have a small frame, and I have a health issue. So I can't. I can't have the X factor of being overweight. I can't. I can't have it. I. I just can't. I don't have an attachment to being a size six or a four, or whatever it is, right? I don't have an attachment to that, but I have a real attachment to being healthy, and having making myself. Um, making it as easy as possible for um, me to be, you know, healthy and, and thriving, right, as I deal with, you know, these blessed challenges that I deal with in my life. But um, I, I, so I don't have an attachment to what anybody else weighs. But I'm always intrigued in meetings when, you know, you might hear somebody say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I weigh 180 pounds and this must be what God wants me to weigh because this is what I weigh. Huh. <laughs> I mean, I never say that to anybody, but I think, no, 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 no. Don't blame this on God. Don't put this on God, right? I, <laughs> I'm powerless over food. I'm not powerless over the behaviors. And there are behaviors I can take. There are the steps, right, most significantly, that I can take in conjunction, in relationship with a loving sponsor, 
and there are the tools that I can be working on a daily basis. As I do those things, they will move me away from the problem eating behavior that is causing my problems. But I can't blame that on God. I can't blame that on God. And I don't want to blame that on God. I want to take responsibility here. So that's what I want to introduce to somebody. Okay? Thank you so much. I have one more quick question that I hope can be answered. Um, You say you want uh, your sponsee to read a chapter a day, highlight, annotate, write, and then call you. In the 15 minutes you speak to them, is it even possible to go through the entire chapter so that they can begin the next chapter and do the same thing for you the next day? No, they're not going through the chapter. They'll have read the chapter. They'll have found something on each page, right, that stuck out for them, and they'll have written for 15 minutes. So they call me. I give that assignment on a Tuesday. They'll call me on Wednesday and read that writing to me, which might take anywhere from, what, depending on how much they write. I mean, you know, what, 60 to... But it's on the entire chapter. Yeah, but they're they're choosing whatever they want to write on. It might be something. There are no directives. Like I say, the the only way to do it wrong is to not do it. So if they find a phrase or something and they want to do their 15 minutes of writing on that, they can do it. If reading the chapter sparked something from their childhood or their memories or whatever's going on or something in conjunction with what they have happening at work, you know, it's fine. It doesn't matter. So that We have a responsibility ourselves individually to be studying that text. That's why I say two, two, you read two pages a day, you're going to get through that book in about 10 months. So, you know, do that right? And then read it again and again and then again and again. I mean, I'm sure we all have this. I'm looking at my third edition big book that is heavily, heavily annotated, and I have three other books that are annotated almost as heavily. So that's what we have a responsibility, in my mind, that's what I've been taught. I have a responsibility to study that text, not so I can quote it and be a hot shot. I don't quote the big book. I lovingly share it, right? It's so that I can be lovingly uh, schooled in my own life, first and foremost, because you know, that's, the, that's, the, that's where my work needs to begin and end, it, despite the fact I, you know, still sometimes feel like everything would, be, everything would be wonderful in my life if I could just get my husband to consistently put a napkin in his lap, right? That's sometimes what it feels like. But I am, I am, I am the issue. I am the glorious issue in my life, right? So let me keep my attention there. So that's what they're doing. So they're reading the chapter. They do writing for 15 minutes. They read it to me. Then we'll talk about some of the things that they might have paid attention to in the book. And, and no, but we don't need to cover everything in the chapter. That's going to be their lifetime of work to be stuck in that text, as I have my lifetime of work to do with it. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you. Mm. I am in awe. Thanks, oh, Barbara. Thank you so much for your questions. Jennifer H., star one to unmute. Yes, thanks so much for all the practical suggestions for sponsors and sponsees. Um, so much richness here. Thank you. I heard you say that you know you prefer to focus on the instructions in the big book, um, and I would. And I also heard that you said. Um, you know, there are so many different ways to sponsor and that some people will call in their food at the end of the day or after they've had it. And I'm just wondering if you could give us some practical experience of how you integrate things like the dignity of choice pamphlet where people are choosing a food plan 
um, with maybe say if somebody wanted to do a moderate meal with not including any of their trigger foods when they were out at an event and they called you afterwards or texted you to say what they had, would that be interpreted by some people as somebody in denial who doesn't want to bring their scale with them to a wedding or would it, or could it in some sponsors views or perhaps yours still be considered abstinent if they are working towards maintaining a healthy weight and staying away from trigger food. So I would appreciate just even a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of these different ways that you can sponsor people because I got scared off by listening to something where somebody was saying, it's always three ounces. That's what the government says the serving size is. And I think I sometimes use it as a way of being afraid of rigidity. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, no. So I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a registered dietitian. Um, I do recommend that, you know, if, if people have the, the resources, I, I always encourage them to see a registered dietitian. There are two registered dietitians I've seen in Los Angeles. I, I'd had a major health diagnosis in 1994, and I was seeing one of the world's foremost researchers at UCLA who dealt with this issue, right, this autoimmune issue I was diagnosed with. And um, uh, he said, I don't know anything about diet. He said, no, I, I have a sense that diet can, you know, would be something if you got sorted out with some stuff that could be helpful here. He said, but, you know, I don't know anything about about food and diets and things. He said, most doctors don't. He said, go see a registered dietitian. So he was the one who directed me to CNRD. And, uh, you know, it's really important in the state of California. I don't know about other states, but it's really important to see a registered dietitian, not a nutritionist, because a registered dietitian actually is degreed, right? So it's an academic discipline, it's a scientific discipline. And uh, anybody in the state of California can call themselves a nutritionist. And um, they do it and they see people and they have, you know, people who pay them, you know, a lot of bread to just, you know, kind of tell them what to do. And again, not my business, not not my opinion. I mean, not my uh, not my business and I don't have any experience with it and I don't have any aspiration to do it. I, I like science. My husband's an MIT guy. I dig science. So I, you know, followed the direction because I don't just follow the directions of sponsors. If I have somebody who is an authority figure that I love and trust and they can be useful to me and they have some good direction and give me ideas, I want to take their direction. So when my doctor said see an RD, I did. So I went to an RD and I got a food plan. So we do have the dignity of choice, which has different food plans in it. If somebody wants to do those food plans, that's fine. That's great, right? Um, I don't, again, but I'm not a healthcare professional and I have have seen two different RDs, and one of the RDs that I see is in program, right? So she was, you know, especially valuable because she knew the eating disorder component of it and, you know, was helpful to me in that way. And then the other woman that I see is not. She doesn't know anything about eating disorders and doesn't doesn't give a hoot about them, right? And she's somebody who's a a, a real high flyer. I mean, she sees professional athletes and you know, she'll be told to get on a plane and fly to London because you're going to be, you know, consulting with the welterweight champion of the world for the six weeks before he, you know, gets in a ring and gets beat up, right, or beats up, whatever he does, you know, whatever you do. <laughs> and she, then she sees schlubs like me, right? So she doesn't care about eating disorder. She's just all about the science and all about the numbers, right? And I'm 55 years old now. So I used to, and I weigh 135 pounds, and as I said, I don't have an attachment to being a size whatever, size 6, 4, whatever. I mean, you have different sizes depending on what you're wearing. But um, I don't have an attachment to sizes, but I have a real attachment to the clothing in my closet. And I'm kind of an anomaly, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe lots of women don't like shopping, but I know I don't. I'm not a shopper type. I'm not a, sh- I'm not a person who likes a lot of stuff, 
and I don't like shopping. So I don't want to go out just because now my metabolism is slowing down. I am heading into menopause. I'm still cycle here and there, but definitely, definitely things have slowed down. I used to be able to eat, you know, a dozen carbs a day. A servings of carbohydrate is 15 grams. I used to be able to eat a dozen a day to maintain my body weight. I can't do that anymore. So if I, and, and because I'm seeing an RD once in a while, I might see her a couple times a year, maybe, you know, um, increase it a little bit here as things are, you know, definitely shifting in my body. And, um, but she's the one who, who really brought home the point that if I want to stay at this weight, I need to eat less carbohydrates. And it was a, you know, it was not, it was not an issue. It's not a big deal. So she doesn't care about eating disorders and, oh, you're going to need to go to this many more meetings or do whatever. She doesn't care about that. And the reality is I didn't have to make any shift there. I didn't have to increase anything. I just had to get clear about reality. I needed to be honest here. Again, because as a chronic slipper who has that potential to be a victim, right, you know, and, and it can be, I can be a victim in a big way or I can be a victim in a little way, right? Um, because I don't want to go down that road, well, I you know, eyes open, all this stuff helps me keep my eyes open, but also... I don't want to do the, the lying. I don't want to slip into the lying part of it. I don't want to say, well, you know, I guess this is what happens, and then gain 10 pounds or 15 pounds. And I didn't. I don't have an opinion about anybody else and what they do. I don't. I just am very clear about it. For me, I don't want to go buy a whole new wardrobe or be kind of stretching at the seams in the wardrobe that I have. I want to instead honestly look at the reality, right? Life on life's glorious terms. I'm getting older. Metabolism slows down um, because of some of the, the, the health blessings, right, that I, I deal with. It's not like I can, you know, go, go to a spin class and, and then, you know, go, go swim, you know, a half mile in the ocean after I do that and then go do yoga on top of it, Right. And, and keep eating what I what I want to eat because I want to keep eating 12 carbohydrates and stay 135 pounds. I can't I can't physically do that. It's not even the way to do it. I mean I I do see a, you know professional trainer and stuff. I'm a weightlifter. I'm a yoga practitioner and I'm a swimmer. Right. And those are the things that I do. And those are the things that I will and I do tai chi. <clears throat> Those are the things that I do and will do. But I can't, I'm not somebody who can do um, incredible amounts of cardio activity. You know, I've got a sister who, you know, loves, loves doing, you know, two, three-mile walks. That, that's nothing physically I can do. I can't do that. It's not something I can do on a daily basis. I mean, I can walk across the Golden Gate Bridge, but I'm going to need to take a break here and then. Um, and that's just my, you know, my blessed, blessed, blessed life on life's terms, right? And, you know, I deal with health issues. Perhaps some of you do too. If you're a praying type, please pray for me, right? Pray for my health and wholeness, right? And my willingness to stay honest, as I will pray for your health and wholeness. I always appreciate people's prayers. But, um, but the reality is I, I want to stay at this weight. It feels comfortable. My doctors are comfortable with it. It's a it's a weight that has my my uh, uh, based on you know BMI. I'm not in danger of things like diabetes, which there's a lot of diabetes in my family. I'm not in danger of heart disease, strokes, hypertension. You know, I mean, I'm you know I have low blood pressure, so 
I'm somebody who can eat all the salt I want. I mean, you know, but I just am not, I want to keep myself healthy. It was not an, it was not an aesthetic attachment to the weight that I'm at. It's a health attachment. I have a real attachment to that. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I look better at 55 than I looked at 24 when I was 200 pounds. But that's not, that's not the problem. It's not. You know, I loved showing up at my 30-year high school reunion, and I got to see some of the, the, the boys and some of the girls, right, but boys in particular who said really cruel stuff to me because it's hard to be an overweight girl in high school. And I mean mean stuff, public shaming, you know, embarrassment, people yelling out stuff while you're at the, you know, at the basketball game and a bleacher full of people laughing at the fat girl, right? That, I've, I've had that experience. But I got to show up at my 30-year reunion, right, looking pretty good, really good, actually, right? As though that's giving you any information about who I am. It's not, but I got to show up. And it wasn't even the talk to the hand thing. It was, I got to sit down with those guys and ask to see pictures of their children, right? And these these were people who'd put on weight, right? And I knew, I knew they had because I saw them on Facebook, you know? But I got to show up and just be loving, you know, introduce myself to their beautiful wives, be loving and kind and, and literally embody everything that we do here, everything that we do here, and let my heart be seen. Let my, my, my loving, compassionate heart be seen and forgive them even though they hadn't even asked for forgiveness as I want to be forgiven in the world. And, and people that I've, I hurt over time, I hope people out in the world are loving me and knowing that I, did, I gave them the best that I had, even though my best might have been their worst, right? So that, that's what we do here, and that's, that's, that's what I want to be part of. But I, 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 can't, I can't retreat into the, the dishonesty and not paying attention to the reality of, of life and the glorious, the glorious um, challenges and, and, and blessings that I have. I, I just have to pay attention to all of it and just trust that this is a that, that it's all a gift. It's all a wonderful gift. And um, I think I might have kind of gone afar here. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> I think now the tiredness is starting to catch up with me. I got about four hours of sleep last night. Anyway, I hope I answered your question. Thank you so much, Jennifer H., for the question this morning. Thank you. Our final question this morning comes from Yolanda A. Star one, Yolanda. Hi there. I um, appreciate everything that you have said, Sheila. Thank you so much. I have a very quick question. Um, For those people who probably are like me, um, I never felt like I hit rock bottom until I came into the rooms of OA and, and the food is being taken away. And that is where I feel like I am at my rock bottom, where I'm filled with anxiety. I feel like I am literally losing my mind, not being able to have this food. And I want to know, can you just say it again? Like, what advice do you have um, for the people on the line like me who I, I, I don't know what to do? My life was the food. And now that that is stripped away and working the steps, I have a sponsor. 
but there is this emptiness. And I just would love to hear your take on um, what to do to help get through those those lonely days and nights. And that's my question. Thank you. Yeah. No, first, I, I just want to tell you, Yolanda, <clears throat> I really understand. I do. I so understand. Food, food was my best friend. I got to tell you, I, I needed... I needed every bite that I took. Because I'm doing this particular four-step with my sponsor, she has me, um, and again, it's, a, it's kind of a unique approach to a four-step, but it has me going back and looking over a lot of things from my childhood and my adolescence. And <clears throat> I got a, a huge allowance. I got an inordinately big allowance for a, a person who was in junior high, for instance. And I used to spend, I used to spend all that money on food, you know, I walked home from school, uh, junior high, and and I would stop at the store and I would just have bags of food because I remember I would end up with, I would fill like a, a a trash bag, a glad trash bag full of of uh, candy, candy wrappers and food wrappers and different things. And again, this was part of the unconsciousness in my family. My parents were just checked out. My mother was just completely checked out, you know, because I'm carrying down a big bag of trash. Like, how do I have a how is it possible that that didn't get anybody's attention, right? And I needed every single bit of it. Besides dealing with the trauma from everything that I had experienced and was continuing to experience on a daily basis with my angry, troubled mother and my passively, aggressively angry father, I I needed every single bit of it. So when I got introduced to OA and kind of learned what this was about here, it was really frightening. It was. And what I know is I just I just showed up and I did what was asked of me. Again, because I'm from the Midwest, we were largely influenced by the Alcoholics Anonymous of Bob Smith. And their theory was you keep going through the steps over and over and over again. Right? So that was what I did. I just did what was asked of me. And in, in contrast, right, to the New York people who said, nah, I go through 1 through 12 and then cycle through 10, 11, and 12. And both processes were. And because they're both alcoholics, each group was convinced they were doing it right and the other was doing it wrong. But I just know that was how, and, you know, I mean, Bill did reverse himself. And he writes about it and he comes of age, right? He comes around and realizes, nah, you probably need to do more than one four-step in a lifetime. But I, I, just, I just did what was asked of me. And through that process, Yolanda, something kind of started softening, right? I started feeling safer. And my, uh, the one RD that I saw who was in program, I remember at one point she had me track my weight gain and weight loss because during that 12 years, I mean, my top weight's 200 pounds and I had not weighed 200 pounds since February of 1988 when I came in Overeaters Anonymous. I have not weighed 200 pounds. So I'm not a 100 pounder. And, Despite the fact I'm not a 100-pounder, I have lost and gained over 1,500 pounds in my life, right? Because what I did for years here, and, I, you know, I started my first diet in, when I was in the ninth grade in high school. Um, what I did, I was in junior high, it's my last year of junior high. I lost and gained in Overeaters Anonymous, I would routinely, in these dozen years, I would lose and gain 15 pounds three, four times a year. Well, that's, if I do that four times in a year, 
losing and gaining 15 pounds, that's a lot of weight loss and weight gain, right? That's, that's a lot. I just did this, and she had me track this. And you give me a month and a year, and I can tell you within five pounds what I weigh. That's part of the pathology. My husband doesn't know whether it's crazier that I actually did that or that I can record those figures, and I can tell you. But I know that. But that's my thing. So, again, despite the fact I'm not a 100-pounder, I've lost and gained over 1,500 pounds. And somewhere I have the number exactly written down. It's more fun if you know the exact number, but just suffice it to say, over 1,500 pounds. So that was my process. It took me a long time to feel safe, to consistently put the food down. But all I know, Yolanda, there is no magic. I wish I had the magic. Like I said, if I did, I'd write a book. Right? But I know that it was this process of working the steps, right, with a loving sponsor. I don't need anybody to be mean to me. But I do need somebody to be clear, right? And through this process, I, it just, it, the need to keep distracting myself with weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, weight gain, weight loss, it, it fell to the side. That's all I know. And when it finally clicked for me, I, I don't know if it, I guess it was the tipping point, right? It's that, it's that Gladwell tipping point. Maybe I got my 10,000 hours in or something. All of a sudden, something shifted, and I could consistently put the sugar down, and I didn't have to pick it up again. But that wasn't anything I created. It was that process of working the steps over and over again. Now, here's, here's one thing that I know was really valuable for me is that my father was very shaming about my weight. And I started in OA, got directed to work the steps. It was very clear right from the beginning because I, I was... I, I was honest about my food. My sponsor wasn't requiring me to tell her what I ate, but she did, since we'd identified, I'd identified that sugar was a problem for me. She wanted to know where I was at with my sugar consumption, and it became real clear in the first couple of weeks that I wasn't, you know, I hadn't put, I couldn't put the sugar down. And I said, what do you want me to do? And she said, just keep working the steps. So I did, okay? So I just followed the direction. It didn't necessarily make any sense to me because I was in AA, I knew in AA you didn't drink, so I figured in OA, if you figure out what your problem is, you don't do that. Well, it's a different game. It's different, right? So I just did what she asked me to do, which was keep working the steps. And within two years, now I'm 26 years old, and I weigh 180 pounds, right? I'm not 200 pounds anymore. So something has shifted. I mean, I'm still obviously doing quantity eating. I knew I was still eating sugar, but something had shifted because I've lost 20 pounds in two years' time. And I went to a family event. And again, my father always did the public shaming about my weight. And I'd walked by him. And he said, well, I see that you've, you've lost a little bit of weight, but you still have a lot more to go. Don't let up. And I turned around and I said, no more. That's it. It's over. You do not talk to me about my weight anymore. It's over. And everybody in my family kind of looked like, wow. You know, because nobody talked to my dad like that. And I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. 
I was really kind of just meeting fire with glorious fire. But I was also clearly establishing, and that's what the two years of working the steps, despite the fact I wasn't done with the food, had given me. That was the recovery it had given me. That was the recovery I was ready for up to that point. But I could finally stand up to the bully who had been shaming me about my weight for a lifetime. And nobody can tell me that that wasn't recovery. I'm real clear. And I don't, yeah, I'll just say, I don't know. That's one of the best gifts I've gotten from programs is I don't know what it is you need to be doing. I know that I want to make sure that Overeaters Anonymous is safe for everybody. I know that. And I think both things are true. Look, I feel like I do have a responsibility. It is a program of attraction. If I'm going to have, if we're going to have newcomers come in the room, I, I feel like I have a responsibility to be somebody who's at a, a healthy body weight, which creates an opportunity for somebody to be attractive to program, to think, hey, this can work because she used to weigh 200 and she doesn't anymore, right? And looks pretty good for an old broad, right? Old 55-year-old broad. <laughs> so I, I feel like I have a responsibility. And certainly the world, world service directs me, right? Because it tells me that abstinence is the action of refraining. And I'm paraphrasing here, but isn't it? It's the action of refraining from compulsive eating and other compulsive food behaviors while maintaining or being on the way to a healthy body weight, right? Something along those lines. So I... I, I feel like I have a responsibility in that I've been here for 30 years. I feel like I have a responsibility to be at a healthy body weight. Now, and there are certainly plenty of people in Overeaters Anonymous who are years and years abstinence who are overweight. Is this my business? No. This is not my business. It's not my business. And if I think it's my business, I have identify to myself and to my sponsor where we need to do my work because I am certainly not thinking with my heart if I'm looking at you and I'm thinking that I've got all the relevant information about you based on your appearance, okay? But I know for me, I have a responsibility to be at a a healthy body weight and that disconnect between what am I honestly eating and what is what is the work I'm doing? I, I've I've made the connection now, and I can never forget. It's like I, you know, I know how to ride a bike. I can. I, I'm never going to forget that. I know now that if I do these things and I'm honest in this way, and I'm paying attention to the healthcare professionals and what it means to be getting older as a woman, if I'm you know looking at all that stuff, there's no reason that my weight needs to change. And that's what I know is true for me. However, it feels essential that I make sure that Overeaters Anonymous stays safe for everybody and that it stays safe for people who are overweight, who are not abstinent, and people who are overweight and are abstinent. I just want to make sure OA is the safe place. I do. I want it to be safe here. It's already unsafe out in the world if you're overweight. People will yell things from cars. 
They'll uh, film you at Disneyland. They'll laugh and joke and put it up on YouTube. I mean, people do that stuff. It, it actually, people talk about. I mean, it gets talked about on the news. They'll show people. You know, they'll laugh at people at county fairs. I, I just, it's already unsafe out there. I want to make sure it's very safe and Overeaters Anonymous. And for me and for the people that I sponsor, people who have said, I want to be in your boat, I want to create an opportunity for people to stand on my shoulders and not take a dozen years to do what I did. Stand on my shoulders, right? Take advantage of my experience, strength, and hope. And let's get you moving toward a healthy body weight sooner rather than later. I can't make this happen for you. The B in the A, B, and C and how it works, the end of how it works, I can't make it happen for you. But if you are still in the sugar and I ask you to call me before you eat the sugar and then tell you, right, make sure it's understood. The, the rules are you can do whatever you do after you've called me because you followed, you played the game by the rules. But then when you record it, it's the process that that creates the openness in the heart, the necessity of that openness in the heart, that vulnerability, and the, the regular meditation, the phone calls that we're making, the meetings with the commitments, all that stuff creates that opportunity for God to come in and expel the compulsion. Now, here's a really cool awareness that I've gotten in the last, God, I just have gotten this in the last couple of months, I think. And this is a revelation, and it seems so simple. And maybe this will land for you, Yolanda, and this could be something really wonderful for you, because this just felt like a a gem to me. But I can really, really want something, because I did. At some point in the last month or two, I was traveling, doing something, I really wanted something. I knew I couldn't have it. You know, I knew I'm not going to have it. Like, I, I mean, if I'm going to eat, if I'm going to eat sugar, I might as well mainline heroin. I mean, I've never done heroin, never aspired to do it. But it, eating sugar again would cause me the damage that I imagine mainlining heroin would at this point. So, I'm, I, I've got a lot of, a lot of things in place that will probably ensure that I'm never going to have to eat. a hot fudge Sunday ever again. I got a lot of things in place. I don't take it for granted. Right? I know there's daily work I need to do, but I kind of know, even when I really, really, you know, if I really, really want something, because this just caught me off guard, because I'm not used to really wanting something and thinking like, kind of feeling that ache, because knowing that I'm not going to eat this. But all of a sudden I got it, Yolanda, that I could really, really want it and I didn't need God to even remove that that want for me to 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 not eat it. I could instead literally give that desire, that want over to God. You know, because a lot of times I think, oh, let's make an outreach call or let's run to a meeting or do the step work or do whatever it is so that the compulsion gets removed so that I can, you know, be about my life and not eat, and I'm not eating because I don't want to. But all of a sudden I got Yolanda, I could give that want and that what feels like that really powerful desire, which is so rooted in my childhood 
and the pain and the desire and the 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 just powerful what felt like a powerful necessity to be held somehow it felt like the food was really really holding me and sustaining me in a way that my my mother and my family and my life was not I was so in touch with that and that's what the want was about but I literally could give that want over to God and now I'll do that. So now, and since then, I've, you know, you know, you know, you know, you'll have little moments where you're weighing this, and you think, oh man, I only get four ounces. I want eight, right? Whatever it is, <clears throat> I can literally give that want over to spirit, right? <clears throat> spirit, which, you know, the, the root of spirit is breath. I mean, I can literally give it over. So I don't even need to have the compulsion removed because I can give the want and the desire and everything behind it over to God. I can do that. And it is just it was just such a revelation for me. It really was. I'd never thought of it that way. I thought I always needed to do the work to get the compulsion to be removed so that then I didn't eat. I can still have the compulsion and not eat. So that's the that's the thing that's kind of coming up for me. And I would just hope for you that you are in a loving relationship with your sponsor, that you are doing whatever she is asking you, or she is asking you to do on a daily basis, right? Make sure that you're meditating. Make sure that you are making outreach calls, right? Make sure that you are showing up at meetings with commitment and really um, read that book two pages a day unless your sponsor is directing you to more. And, um, you know, when you get to the the stories in the back of the book, I always have people identify five different things, right, when they're reading those stories. Because, again, this is all part of the study of the text. So I want them to identify in the story where where the person in the story thinks they have a problem, right? That's number one. Number two, where does the person, where is it clear in the story that the person knows he has a problem? Where does he know he has a problem? The third thing I want them to identify, where does the person take, uh, where do they surrender? So where is the surrender in the story? Number four, where do they take a third step? Because that's different than surrender, right? Where do they take a third step? And the, the fifth thing I want them to identify is, where is that psychic change or that vital spiritual experience, right? Those are synonyms. Where, where is that evident in the story? So they're identifying those five things. Where do they think they have a problem? Where do they know they have a problem? Where do they surrender? Where do they take a third step? And the fifth one, where is that vital spiritual experience or psychic change showing up in the story, right? So all of a sudden then in those two pages, we are really studying the text because that's what my experience was. That was how and why it all came together. And if I will listen to the experience of the people who are ahead of me on the path, telling me what what has worked for them and what has not worked for them, well, then all of a sudden it doesn't have to take as long. That was why I wanted to start talking about experience, strength, and hope. That's why I'm I'm writing a book for a recovery press, talking about this very thing, because I want to 
I want somebody to stand on my shoulders and not take as long. But it was the process of going through the steps over and over and over again. And what I did not have, I had loving, wonderful sponsors, but I did not have anybody holding me accountable in a glorious, safe, committed way to daily work. And that's all all derived from what the book directs me in that working with others chapter, right? To make sure that I'm walking day by day with a sponsor and that being staying very clear that my sponsor has a responsibility to work with people who will work with them. So my job is to show up and do the work that my sponsor asked me to do. So that's what I have there. And again, we're just telling you, Amanda, I really understand. But I'm just telling you, there is something that is much better than food. You might not know that yet, but I know that. And so lean into what what I can know for you, right? That there is something much better. And you can have that, you know, wanting to curl up in the fetal position and sob because you can't have what it is you want. I understand that, but I'm telling you, it's not what you want. And I'll just close with this story. This is, I was in, um, I was working on a, a television show and it was based out of a bakery, right, in Michigan. And it was, uh, the bakery belonged to the girl that had been my best friend growing up. And, um, and she had won national pie competitions, right? Um, you know, they have, just like they have the Westminster Dog Show, they have, you know, pie baking contests, right? Where, and this woman had won Best in Show, right? She was literally the best pie baker in the United States. And she was, had been my best friend, right? And we're working on a television show. We were doing a reality show out of her bakery. So I was home in Michigan, <clears throat> and I was in this bakery. And I remember because I would come home in November and I'd forgotten to bring my gloves because I, I was in this bakery with my husband. And my husband has always been a really good sport. You know, he, he will always try something for me, right, if something is wonderful somewhere, and I'll say, you know, honey, try that. And he'll eat it, and he'll, he'll be in the midst of it, and I'll say, am I missing anything? And he'll always say, no, sweetie, you're not missing anything. Don't worry, you're not missing anything. So we'd gone to this bakery, and this particular pie, this woman had one best in show, right? It was a big deal. Nationally, she'd written a cookbook, I mean, the whole kit and caboodle and this cute little bakery, right? Pink linoleum floor. My husband's eating this pie. About halfway through, I said, so honey, am I missing anything? And he says, well, it is really good. And Yolanda, I was just crestfallen. I just was. I was just, I thought, oh my God, here's the best pie baker in the United States, probably the world but the best, here's the best pie. She she was my best friend from childhood, right? We're on a TV show and, you know, writing it, producing, I mean, it, I should probably taste this anyway. And I knew that I couldn't have it, right? This was in 2009. I'm nine years absent. 
I knew I couldn't have it. And I just was crushed. I just couldn't believe it. And here was my husband, my now disloyal husband, probably didn't have a napkin in his lap either, but he's eating this pie and he's telling me through his communication, his subtle communication, that, wow, I am really missing out on something. And he'd never said that before. I was just crushed. And I remember I went outside and because I, I didn't have my gloves. It was freezing cold, you know. I've forgotten how cold it is in Michigan in January. No, it was November. I forgot. It was freezing, right? My hands were cold. Cause I remember I had my phone, and I'm, I'm, I've, I've had this routine with my sponsor, right, where I'm making outreach calls. And I used to, my sponsor used to say in the beginning, this was before cell phones, because she used to say, make sure whenever you call anybody, you leave your phone number, leave it twice. Because she said, you know, somebody ends up in a troubled spot and they're in a payphone. They, you, you want people to be rem- to remember your phone number. So I, you know, I'm, I'm on my phone and I'm trying to flip through and I, you know, I can't remember. You know, I want to reach it, and all of a sudden I thought of this woman's number, right? Because she had always left her number too. Her sponsor must have told her the same thing. She always used to leave her phone number, and I thought of her number, and I call her because I'm outside this bakery. I'm looking inside, and the windows are all steamed up and my husband's in there eating his pie and there's all this stuff in this bakery case and I just want it like I want to breathe. I want to eat this pie. And I thought of this woman's number and I called it. <clears throat> and her name's Wendy. She answered the phone, kind of uncharacteristically. It's always hard to reach her. She's got a lot of kids. And I said, Wendy, it's Sheila I'm making an outreach call. Is this a convenient time for you? She said, yeah, Sheila, how are you? Are you okay? I said, I'm not. And I started crying. I said, and I told her the whole story, right, about this is going on. I'm outside the bakery. I'm on the show. I really should try this pie anyway. My husband says it's incredible, you know. I really, really, please, Wendy, please, will you please just tell me I can go in and I can have one piece of this pie. Will you please, will you please just tell me it's okay? Please. I just, please. Because I couldn't reach my sponsor. I had tried my sponsor. She paused a long time and she said, Sheila, you can do whatever you want to do. You're, what, 2,500 miles from Los Angeles? You can do whatever you want to do. I'm not your sponsor. You don't even have to tell anybody. You can not tell anybody or you can lie about it. You can do whatever you want to do. If you want to have that pie, you can go have that pie. Said, but I'm, I'm just telling you, it's not the pie you want. It's the love. It's not the pie you want. It's the love. So why don't you go back in and get what it is you really want? Why don't you go back in and get the love? And we hung up. And I looked inside and I was still seeing the same thing that I'd seen before the phone call. I do remember there was a woman who was eating a piece of pie and she had a cup of tea in her left hand and a, and a bite of the pie that she was holding aloft on the fork, right? Because I remember I was thinking, before the phone call, I was thinking, eat the pie. Why are you? Why are you holding that fork up in the air? Why do you have a cup of tea in your left hand? Put the tea down. Put that off to the side. Stop fooling around with tea and eat the pie. 
right? And when you finish it, go get a cookie and then go get a muffin and then get a cup. Like that's what I was saying. I was put, will you stop holding that fork aloft, right? And I got off the call. I don't know if she was, I don't know what was going on with the woman in the tea. But I know all of a sudden I had a realization. I realized a couple of important things. I realized, well, this was the this was the most important revelation I had. I thought I got very clear about what I was going to lose if I had the pie. I hadn't thought about that when I was wanting it so much. I wasn't thinking about what I was going to lose here. Because when I get into the sugar, it's over. I mean, it was over when I was in the sugar, what, 18 years ago. I'm real clear how much worse it would be now. So I remembered that. I remembered that I had a responsibility in terms of the the television work and stuff, and I knew that that was all going to every all my I wasn't going to get anything done if I got into the to the pie, right? Because it was this specific pie, this famous pie. I really wanted to have it. And the third thing that I finally realized after I realized what I had to lose that I wasn't going to fulfill my responsibilities while I was there if I got into the pipe. Then I had a really third important powerful revelation. And you know what it was? I realized I don't like pie. I've never liked pie. I don't like pie. I like pie filling if it doesn't have fruit in it. Right? If it's got some kind of a banana cream or a caramel toffee something, which is another pie she has, that I'm I'm up for. But I don't want the crust. I want the filling. I don't even like pie. So here I had been in the midst of a horrendous, horrendous, desirous urge to eat something that would have taken away everything that means anything to me in my life everything, including my life. But that's another story for another day. I I would have lost everything if I'd had that pie. And it wasn't until I followed this routine, I was in the midst of this routine that I'd been in for years that involved phone calls. I got on a phone call and I listened to somebody who gave me permission to do whatever I wanted to do because she was clear that she was powerless And she wanted to make sure that I knew that I was powerless. But she reminded me it wasn't the pie that I wanted. It was the love, right? So all of a sudden I felt freed up in that regard. And it was only then I realized I don't even like pie. So I was going to lose everything for a food that I don't even like. So that's how it tells me that I need to just do what is asked of me here, be on this day, Sunday, November 11th, 2018, I will get off the phone, I will drink some water, get my dog fed, get my dog watered, see what's going on with my hubby, um, get my question, my big book, my two pages, get my inventory work done for the day, and then see what the day holds in store, right? 
get clear about who I'm going to make some outreach calls to, get, get all those things in place, and just be in this beautiful day, staying very, very conscious that I have been given everything by a loving God, right? My life is a blessing and I have limitations and blessings and challenges as we all do, but I am so clear that it is a loving God running the show and running the universe. And all I have to do is be out of good ideas regarding food and what it is I think I want to make me happy and instead just follow, keep, stay on the path, right? Just be so present, be so connected with you all, right? Be connected in the we, which is still the hardest part for me and just keep the food in its proper perspective, which is, you know, being very clear about what the things are that I get to eat, the things that are not my food, and just being loving and compassionate. I mean, it's everything that we've been talking about, everything that I'm going to forget, right? And so when I call you, whoever you are, on an outreach call, and I've forgotten everything that I've just been talking about for the last three hours, right? When I've forgotten it, you can remind me that just like Wendy did on that phone call, and this is what I want you to know, Yolanda, it isn't the food you want. It's the love. So if I will remember that and just put the food over here, right, that which does not belong to me, put it over there and just stay clear, eat what I'm directed to eat, what I know works for me, when I'm honestly taking in both my experience and the the information from healthcare professionals, et cetera, eat that food which which belongs to me and do this work over here, I get everything. I get everything I've ever wanted. And I don't know if sometimes I, I imagine, gosh, in heaven do you get to eat whatever you want, right? Is that how it goes? I don't think about seeing my mom and my dad and, you know, aunts and uncles and grandpas. What I'm still thinking is like, gosh, do you get to eat whatever you want in heaven? But then I realized, Maybe in heaven, it's that I don't want to eat the stuff, right? And then I realize I've got heaven right here on earth because 98% of the time, I don't want to eat the things that don't belong to me. The things I used to binge on, I don't even want them anymore. And that 2% of the time, I'm willing to give over that desire and that urge to my loving God. And I might still want it but I'm not going to do it because there is a higher love. And I felt that sway of the elephant shoulders and I'm not climbing on any jackasses today. So thank you everybody for being on the call. Thank you for everything that, uh, that we have all given and received here. And, and, uh, and we're all, we're all in this wonderful community together, just trudging together. And when I remember I can help you when you forget, and when I forget, you can help me because you remember, and, and that's just what we do for each other here. So, Leah, thank you for inviting me to, to be on the call, and 
and uh, it was really a pleasure. I'm sorry if we went over anything. It was uh, it was overwhelming or taxing to anybody, but <laughs> I do get excited. I do love this stuff, and I am glad to have been here. I thank you. Thank you for having me, and I just wish us all a wonderful day full of love. Well, thank you, Sheila. Thank you for giving so much of yourself this morning, sharing your experience, strength, and hope, and for your service here on A Vision for You and your service throughout Overeaters Anonymous. Thank you so much. We're going to close from page 164. Of course, we know it in our chapter 11, entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.